You know, um, of all the things that our brother just said, Michael just said, one of the things I think you long for was something that I think every soul on the planet longs for. Let me see if I can introduce what I think was the need of your soul by telling you a story. As you heard, we have nine children. I'm hoping you'll be impressed with that. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're a little late on that woe. We've got to work on the timing a little bit, okay? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, we, we do have nine children. And, and one of the things that, that you learn from your children is a tremendous amount of theology. I have a story about one of my children who's not here. <laughs> I have to put that in. Uh, and what I learned from him is very shameful for me. You see, in this particular opening illustration, I, I, I had uh, gone to him after he had been very irritated with my wife. And I, in no uncertain terms, made sure he understood exactly the behavior I expected and demanded in my house of anybody to my wife. I was clear. I was crisp, and I was to the point. The next day, the son, I asked him to neaten up a room because I needed to get some materials out of it for a visitor that was to come by. He failed to do so. Visitor came by, my son was there, and I felt great embarrassment. I... uh, found the materials, gave it to our guest, and he left, and I was what we call steaming mad. And I got in the grill of my son, who's much taller than I am. They're all taller than I am. I appreciate the comment about the height thing, by the way. And I just began to rip into him. I began to rip up one side and down the other, and this this 19-year-old man began to tear down his face. And I finished my ripping, walked out of the room, thinking I did the right thing in the right way. I walked up the stairs and I said to myself, that went well. Father, you ever said that? Yeah, the moment you hear that ringing out of your mouth, it's probably not true. And it's, if the, it's, it's as if, that I didn't hear this voice, but it's as if I could hear the Spirit of God say, did it now, did it now. And I said, no, it didn't. I did the very same thing. I told him not to do it to his mother. I did to him. And I turned around and I walked down those stairs and I went into that room where he was still weeping. And I said to him, Son, I just, I, just, I just sinned against you. I told you not to do what you did to your mother, and I did it to you, and I have spoken to you in the wrong way, and I want you to know that I can never take that back. I beg of you to forgive me. That's what you needed. You needed 
the account that was bankrupt with God to be forgiven. And I'll never forget this gigantic man, like a son of Anak, I might add, just (laughs) throw his arms around me twice, put his hat on my shoulder and sobbed before I could even ask again. He cried out, Daddy, I forgive you. And he's weeping on my shoulder. There are no more blessed words in the English language than these words. I forgive you. And I would submit to you, as in the case of our brother who's testified, that there is not a soul on this planet that is not at some point, in some way, whether it be a human relationship or an understanding with their relationship that's strained with God in heaven, that does not need to hear the words, I forgive you. I'd like to talk about forgiveness tonight. I'd like to talk about what it is from the Word of God. I'd like to show you what the Lord Jesus meant when he used that word, what Paul meant when he used those words, and I'd like to show you what God gives to the aching heart who needs forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we'll begin. It'll be kind of a a quick survey through the Bible, so I, I trust that it will not be too frustrating for us. Ephesians chapter 1 is where I'd like you to go, and if you have your Bibles, please turn there. It says this, and I'll begin reading. I'll begin reading in verse 7. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Every line in that verse is saddled with tremendous meaning. If you notice, there is a word redemption, to buy back, to take off the marketplace, to bring back to your possession. That's a costly effort. It requires not the payment of cash, It requires not the payment of good works. It it requires not a wholesome, conservative viewpoint or philosophy. It requires something much more uh, valuable than that. It requires the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment, and that would be in one's blood, or in other other words, in the death of someone. That's how, how much it cost. And when the cost is paid... There is a statement that can be saddled or laid upon all of humanity, and in particular those who receive Christ, as Michael did that night on December 17th. And this this concept, this this truth, this, this reality that's given is in that word forgiveness. And you can read it again, and I will too. The forgiveness of sins, and it's born not out of payment for you, not out of rewarding you for doing something right. It comes totally out of the riches of his grace. And as was testified, maybe God can do something. This is what he's done. And he's done it all out of his own storehouses of grace, loving kindness, and mercy. Now the question should be asked, what does forgiveness mean? What what does the word mean? In, In the New Testament, does it have a certain connotation? Well, there's several original language words that's trans, uh, translated into English, but uh, the most common word used, and forgive me for my pronunciation, it's ephemi. And it simply means 
to send away. To send away. That's all it means. There's another word used for forgiveness. The second most common translated Greek word is kerios or, or grace. It's a gracious act. But the one in this text is ephemai. Ephemai means to, to separate one from the other. To send away. Part the two. There's a neat little story in the book of Luke. You don't need to turn to it. It's one of my favorites, though, because it has to deal with medicine. They had just exited Capernaum, the synagogue of Capernaum. They went over to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Mom-in-law was sick. She was apparently running a fever. Now, you don't need to know much medicine, do you? But you know, when you're running a fever, you feel pretty lousy, don't you? Anybody ever run a fever? Everybody's run a fever. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And, and, you know, you sit around and you shake and you, and you quiver. And, 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 you know, the way they say it is the hypothalamus is resetting its natural uh, threshold for normality. And so it's trying to spike your temperature to what it's now being reset as. You don't need to remember that. That'll just be on the test. <laughs> but the point is simply this, that, that she's, she's ill. And, and they, 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 they ask the Lord Jesus to come over to see her. And so they, she, he walks over to this, this uh, older lady who's ill on the bed. And he says to the fever, which I never have been able to have the courage to do, he says to the fever, be gone. I'd love to do that. I'd love the next patient comes into my ER with pneumonia. I'd say, be gone. You know what he's going to do? Do we have another doctor here today? Because I think this guy's off his medication. You know what it says in the text? The fever left her. That word left, L-E-F-T, ephemi. Two are separated. There is the patient who is running the illness and as evidenced by the fever. And then upon the, the command of Jesus Christ, the one was separated from the other. And the whole point is they were not supposed to come back again. That's my problem in medicine. Guy comes in, I treat him, he gets better, comes back two weeks later and says, Doc, I'm worse. I'd love it if he didn't have to come. It's good for business, but it's really not good for patient relations, is it? I'd love it if they could be separated and never come back again. This is what God has done when he says, you're forgiven. He takes you and, and, and all the crimes and, and sin that was done, the, the rebelliousness against him, And he takes all of that, and in a really sort of divine, surgical way, he separates the one who's committed those crimes, and he removes those crimes, and he separates them so far apart that they're never to be touching again. They never will have stain on the record of their soul again. That's forgiveness. And there's not a human being on this planet that doesn't wish they had that, whether it be between a son and a father, a a husband and a wife, or a wife and a husband. We all know the pain that that we crave for when there's been such tension in human relationships, and we wish that we could separate what has happened and what we've said far enough away that it would never touch us again. How many have ever experienced that? And the same, same emotional turmoil that you've had in those moments with human relations is exactly, exactly mirroring the, the, the kind of relationship that has been between you and God. There's been such tension. There's much strain. The Bible calls it enmity. There's been an enemy-like uh, posture between you and God. Oh, you need something. You don't need a fight. You need forgiveness. And I would suggest to you 
There's only one way to get true forgiveness. Now there's a little, little psalm, Psalm 103, says it really, really well. It goes like this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's always bothered me, you know. What does he mean by that? Well, the truth is that if you always go east, you never really meet west, right? It's kind of like that line you learn in geometry. You know, you draw that line and an arrow on one end and an arrow on the other, and the teacher says, you just keep going that way and it'll never touch that one. Well, that's exactly what forgiveness is about. He sends the sin that way, he sends you this way, and they never touch again. You are forgiven. It's unalterable It's permanent. It can never recourse, cross over, meet up again. Don't you love that? That's what King David said several thousand years ago. I love that. That's how God thinks. Now, you don't need to turn to this, but there's another great illustration of this in Leviticus 16. You don't need to know your Bible well to understand this ceremony, but it was a special day in Leviticus 16. Today it's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Still practiced in Orthodox Jewish homes. The idea is that there would be a a day which the priest would change into clothes of white linen, somewhat obscure, some non-ornate clothing. You would take a series of animals and you would uh, sacrifice those animals in that, that historical event and, and you would confess sins upon one of the animals for the people. And that animal would have its life taken. I was in Kenya a few years ago. When we were in Kenya, they wanted to sacrifice a goat for us. Not because we were special, we were hungry. And so they said, we'd like to have a big banquet for you and we want to sacrifice the goat. I didn't, I, it didn't sound too good for the goat, but I wanted to see what happened, you know. And so we went over to the goat and the goat was squirming and everybody was around and this man was sharpening this so it looked like some machete. And I'll never forget what I saw as the limbs were bound, the head was pulled taut, the neck was, excuse me, the neck was pulled taut, the head was pulled up, and I watched as the gentleman severed the carotid arteries left and right both in one swoop. It was one of the most bloodiest procedures I've ever seen. And I noticed that the man who, who actually was involved in the butchering of that animal was covered in blood from his fingertips to his armpits. You see... The violence that was involved when God would take his son and treat him like a goat and take his life was really quite bloody on the fingertips of God the Father, wasn't it? And that's exactly what was happening. That's how forgiveness is given. There has to be the life of a substitute interjected in the middle. That's the whole point. And in that day of Yom Kippur, you have a second goat. 
And that second goat gets released into the wilderness. And it means, in that text, it means into a desolate place. And what he's mean, what is being said is that my confession upon the life of the one and his life is end is now demonstrated in the other goat who's being sent away. And the two will never touch each other again. You, the guilty, and that other animal will never come across each other again. This is what he means by forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. I tell you, those are musical words, aren't they? I'd like to introduce you to another concept about forgiveness that comes to you from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Some of you can quote that. It says the following, Now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is a legal word. It was used in the court system of the Roman era back then. It would be the words like we would use uh, for our judicial system. You know, we, we have certain uh, buzzwords like indictment. You know, that, that has a certain connotation to it. Uh, conviction. You are convicted. Your sentence, you know, that has a certain kind of legal uh, 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 smatterings to it. We, we sort of, oh, okay. Or how about that, uh, 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 you know, grand jury. Those are terms that they, they, they mean something to us from a legal perspective. Well, in the Roman culture, this word condemnation had that kind of connotation. It means that you are uh, condemned, you are judged to be guilty. Now, there is a, a story that God allowed me to experience that I think graphically illustrates this whole idea of being forgiven by using this word, condemnation. Have you ever, um, have you ever been ticketed? Anybody here ever been ticketed? Good, good. I've been ticketed quite a few times. Actually, I have to confess to you, I've been stopped way more than I've been ticketed. <laughs> so many stories about that. I'm tooling home one night at 11 o'clock at night, and the officer pulls me over, and I casually mention that I was just managing the emergency department, and I was just trying to get home. Oh, we don't ticket the doctors here. Oh, thank you so much, son. May God bless you, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> the next week, I'm tooling through the same little town. He pulls, I, 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 sort of, I sort of roll through the stop sign to go fill up with gas, you know. Same officer pulls up behind me. He walks up, sir, you kind of rolled through that stop sign. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that was me, yeah. Hey, you're Dr. Price. I stopped you last week. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> Here I am. Well, one day I was driving down uh, westward on 87th Street. The sun was setting, and as it was setting, it was just about at the horizon level, and the red light was in its background, or in its foreground, and as I was going across, I, I, I have to confess, truly, I thought it was yellow, and I went through, and the officer definitely said it was red. And so he pulls me over, and he says to me, Sir, you ran the red light back there, license and registration. So I get it out, and I give it to him, and I said, You know, officer, I, I think it, it may have been yellow. He, he said to me, Sir, it was red. Okay, but I thought it could be yellow. Sir. It was red. He writes me up, hands me the citation. And I said, but I really think, sir, it's your right as a citizen to contest this ticket. You mean I can fight it? Yes, sir, 
Give me the ticket. Give me the ticket. So I get it, and I read it, you know, like $400,000, blah, blah, blah. And, I, and, and it says, you know, if you want to fight this thing, you go to court on this date. So I go home, put it on my desk. I'm going to fight this thing. So I go into court, whatever day it was. In our city, it's in the basement of the city hall. It's the only other decorum, other, only other forum that uses church pews. Seriously. And I walk in the back, and it, it really looks like I'm in a church building, and, and there's pews on the one side and pews on the other, and, and, and there's clumps of little pockets of humanity all sitting around in groups. And, and I'm walking down there, and I, I'm, it's kind of surreal for me, you know. Turn off your cell phone. Don't talk to anybody. I'm walking in kind of, you know, real gentle, trying to act humble, you know. And, and I get in there, and, and there's this group over there, and they're just, they're just crying, you know. I look over there, and there's a really well-dressed man. He was the attorney. And, and he was right there, and he's saying, you know, doing that kind of like car salesman thing. And, and I, I sit down, and I'm watching all this happening, and my, my, my attention goes to the front of the, of the, uh, of the room. And, and in the front of the room was this judge who had the biggest, gigantic pulpit I've ever seen. Literally, it was... It was <laughs> do you see that? I won't do it again. All right. It, it was this you know, this gigantic, you know, and, and I walk down and I sit down and, and there's this guy, he's right there. And he looks like he's being beat up by this, 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 I, I thought she was kind of a pit bull, but she was the assistant district attorney. And she was railing on him. And I looked real close and I knew the guy. It was a doctor I trained with and she was crucifying him. She would be down there She'd be gone. And your honor, this mansion, Aaron, I'm going, I'm going to die. And she is just crucifying him. And then she's done. And he walks off. I thought, you know, just kind of you know, stretch her and the whole thing. And I'm in the back thinking, what was I thinking? Contest this ticket? Just pay the thing. And about that time, my name goes, Steve Price. <laughs> I don't know him. You know, and I walk down, I go to down to the front, and I'm before the judge, you know. And when you're in front of the judge, you know what you do? Yeah, humble. Yes, your most worthiness. Yes, you incredibly good looking man. He said, Mr. Price? Yes, so you, you smile, you know. <laughs> and he goes, Mr. Price, the officer that issued you the citation was not told to be here at the hearing today. Would you be able to wait 15 minutes while we text him and see if he can show up? And then he glares at the uh, district attorney. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting out. What do you say? You don't have your act together on and no way, buddy. You, know, you sit down, okay? You sit down, you mind your P's and Q's, and you keep your mouth shut. And that's what I did. I sat down, and I looked very humble. And he did 15 minutes later, calls my name like a, like a shot out of a gun. Steve Price. <laughs> I go before the judge again. I stand before the judge. And he's got, you know, he's got these. I got I to gotta get back up here. <laughs> he's got these. Yeah, thank you. He's got these bifocal things working, you know. And he's like, he's 10 feet tall. And he's looking down. And I look like an ant. And he says, Mr. Price. Yes, your holiness. You know? And he goes, he goes. Mr. Price, the officer cannot be here today who issued you the citation, so I'm throwing your ticket out. 
bam, just like that. The gavel cracked like it was a shot out of a gun. And I went, oh. he goes, you're free to go. Case dismissed. I think he loved to say that, you know. And I'm standing there and I'm paralyzed. I'm just looking at him. 30 seconds goes by. He's doing paperwork. I catch his eye off the bifocal. Mr. Price, you can go now. I just keep looking at him. Your most graciousness, don't I need to pay something? The exit is that way. You know how you start to say things when you, know, you speak slower like you're dumb or something? Exit that way. And that's how it was going, you know. So I go, okay, okay, thank you. Thank you, you loveliness. And I, so I walk out. I walk past the district attorney. I was so tempted to go. <laughs> I, I didn't. I did not do that. But I wanted to. And I walked out the door. I opened the door. And, and it says cashier. I go, give him my paperwork. I open my checkbook up. How much do I owe you? She looks at me like the judge. Like I'm dumber than a brick. Nothing. I said, you mean I owe you nothing? She looks at me the same look. Nothing. I go, okay, okay, good, good, good. Thank you. You have a great day. So I walk out. I get in my car. I'm in the parking lot. And what do you do when you go through something like that? This is what I did. Woohoo! I beat you. Down with the ticket. Give me another ticket. Yeah. And I'm driving home, and I'm just, it's, I called you, yeah, I got it, it's really great, but I click, and I'm just driving home, you know, and it's like the Spirit of God tapped me on the shoulder. So you think that's all that happened back there? Yes, I did. Okay, no, I don't. What am I supposed to be thinking, you know? And, he said, and this, is, this, is what my, this is what went through my mind as I drove home. And at verse 1 of chapter 8, there is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what I thought. You know, Steve, there's another court that your name showed up at. The presiding official of that court is the chief justice of all the universe. The books were open then, and your case was brought before that judge. And upon your name being announced and your presentation before the judge, the gavel was raised high and was about to fall in verdict of your conviction. Your condemnation. And just before the judge could actually let the gavel fall, the doors in the back of the courtroom burst wide open. And this man suddenly approaches the bench and he says, Your Honor, I come to you today on behalf of my client, Stephen Daniel Price. And I have evidence today that will allow the court to grant pardon without reservation. I would like to approach the bench and present such evidence. I was thinking of this all the way on the home. And the judge of all time looks at the, my advocate, my attorney, and he says, approach the bench, and he takes a position between the judge and me so that I'm no longer in view as I watch this man, this mysterious man, who looks only in my eyes as he begins to undo his cufflinks and unbutton his shirt, and I watch as he lets his shirt fall off his shoulders, and I see the judge and and behind his head, I see the judge look at the man's back, and he begins to write in the book, and I begin to see it all happening so quickly, and as his, his 
finishing writing and the shirt begins to fall to half his back, I hear the gavel, crack! Forgiven. There's no condemnation. And as this man begins to turn, I begin to see the gnarliest scars that only sin could make tattooed on his back. And that's what happened that day, Mr. Steve. That's what happened that day when you went before the court. That's exactly what was happening in the greatest courtroom of all. When your name came up, the judgment would fall upon you and somebody stands in the middle to take the blows of the seat of justice and you walk away forgiven. I love that. That's exactly what you experienced, isn't it? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know there's not a soul on this planet, in this arena, in this amphitheater that has not and or have, has yet to experience the beauty of hearing those words forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation. There's one more passage I'd like to bring to your attention, and I promise I'll close, hopefully. Passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Always helps if I keep track of my Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. Excuse me. Where am I? Oh, yes. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. You know, that's another way to say you're forgiven. It is, isn't it? How is it that we don't remember things? I don't remember things by accident. I get home. I put, like today, we, yesterday we, or when was it? Is today Tuesday? Sunday we got here. And I went to my little, very nice accommodations, I might add. And they gave me this thing called a car um, pass, a thing for parking. A little parking permit. I didn't have a car at that point, so I just kept it. Today, a brother, sister, they let me loan, have their car, and, and I'm madly looking for this thing, you know. I'm going through everything. Kids, you got to look in your laundry. We got to find this thing, you know. I forget things by accident. Any of you ever go home and say to your spouse or to your children, guess what? Today, daddy's going to forget where he put his car keys. Woohoo! You ever do that? Your kids are going to go, dad, dad, what did you do with my father? right? That doesn't happen, right? That's ridiculous. So how is it that the God who knows everything does not remember something? Huh? Doesn't that sound incongruous, incompatible, mutually exclusive? The answer is yes. So how does he do that? Well, this is what I think he does. It's like an eclipse, okay? He takes his all-powerfulness 
and allows it to eclipse his all-knowingness so that when the two are exactly behind one behind the other, my sins are no longer remembered. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? There's so many people in this planet, maybe you're one of them here tonight, that you need to hear the words, your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. It's over. They won't be, cut, they won't be brought up. There will not be anybody who will find any shred of evidence again that will bring it to the court of all time and say, Your Honor, I have a reason to reopen the case. Because every time that might happen, and the one who would do that is called the accuser of the brethren, the only one by that title in the, in the word of God, Satan himself, every time that might happen, the books could easily be opened, and the account could easily be found, and every time the answer and verdict will be the same, case closed, sins forgiven. That is what it means to be forgiven. I want to ask you something tonight whether you've been to this camp all of your life or just a few days or, or just a couple years, I want to ask you something tonight. Are you forgiven? Because that's how God forgives a person that accepts him, that calls on his name. That's exactly what he does to you. He does it in a myriad and manifold way that covers all the bases and all dimensions for all time. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. I was eight years old when I heard that. I was a little kid at a Bible camp. The preacher, some of you may know, some of you may not, his name Ray Routley. I'll never forget Ray because half his arm swung back and forth underneath his triceps or underneath his biceps. I'll never forget that to a little eight-year-old kid. You're going. But in the midst of that ADD distraction moment, I heard, my sins are forgiven. I knew I was a sinner. I was only eight, but I was a really good sinner. I could lie, I could steal, I could cheat, and I could do it without a conscience. Maybe that's exactly what you are today. And God, like Michael, awakened my conscience to sin, and I needed to be forgiven. I heard this verse goes like this. For God so loved the world. Or as he did that night, for God so loved Steve Price that he would give his only begotten son that as Steve Price would believe in him, he would not die as my judgment would be leveled against me, but I would have everlasting life. And at that little eight-year-old, little stick of a kid, I trusted Christ that night. I don't have anything fancy. I never got drunk. I never, I, I never had immorality at that, at that young age. But I was a chief sinner, and I knew it. That is when I was born again. It was approximately 30, excuse me, <laughs> 43 years ago. I've never regretted that decision. Don't fail to make a decision that you'll regret making. The forgiveness of God is grand, all-encompassing, 
and directly deposited to you when you cry out to your father, to, father, to the God of heaven who means to grant you forgiveness through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Let's pray. Our Father, this evening we come to you not because we're mighty, but because we're weak. We're undone. And we would love to say to you, we've got it together. We're not as bad as we think. We're, we're, we're sort of okay. But the truth is, we can't say that. It's not true. The truth is, is that we're totally bankrupt in your sight. Well, our case is open and shut to our conviction. And the, the gavel of heaven should rightly fall and condemn us as it, as it should. And yet, somehow, someway, you've done something. Not to alter the integrity of the court, but to take your own son and pummel him as the criminal so that I, under his shadows, would be forgiven. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, let a soul not sleep tonight until they truly comprehend what kind of forgiveness you intend to grant. In Jesus' name, amen.